Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Fred Nastos, co-head of Core Fic Trading. This week's episode is titled The Bank of Canada's Dilemma. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Fred, welcome back to the show. It's an exciting time in Canada. Rates markets have been volatile, to say the least. Of late, Canada has been in the spotlight a fair amount. Uh, I know I've fielded uh, far more client calls over the past three weeks than I have, uh, I mean, in, in, in the prior three months, really. It's just an exciting time in Canada with, and with the Bank of Canada coming up next week, uh, an ideal time to, uh, to really focus on them and what we're expecting out of that policy meeting. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me back. So, Fred, what, what, go, going into the bank meeting, we've had a big sell-off in the Canadian front end. Uh, why don't we just start with something simple? Have we gone too far? Well, Ben, in the front end, we still have the January meeting priced at around 30% for a hike right now. Um, I think that seems a little aggressive. You know, Macklin last week was, you know, he had a chance to be a bit more hawkish and I, I don't think he took it. And I think, you know, we need, we still have, we still have two months of data to come before January, but uh, I think you need to, you know, two really strong months, two strong months of numbers. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. I, I think you'd need, I mean, a, a January hike seems a little bit far-fetched, but I, I mean, I, I can construct a scenario where it at least becomes a, a greater possibility. And I, I, I suspect that might be where we end up uh, after, after next week's meeting. So the way I'm thinking about this, there's, there's, there's three different parts, call it, to this meeting. So one is, is Macklem himself. And I, I think at this point, given that last week he had his, uh, I guess, round table with the press and and he came out and as you said he had a chance to sound more hawkish or 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 change the bank's tone and he didn't he maintained pretty much exactly uh what they had been saying and so i i, I the fact that he didn't change his tone there tells you he, he's very unlikely to do so next week uh he, he's more likely to stay the course i think uh he he noted there is more concern on inflation it's going to be a little less transitory than they initially thought. Does that mean it's not transitory? No, it doesn't. It just means it's going to last a little bit longer. Uh, and he noted that growth is going to be softer than what they had projected in the in the July NPR. And that that's perfectly consistent with what we've seen out of GDP. You had a weaker second quarter. And the third quarter is going to be weaker than they projected in July. Uh, and so I, I, I think from that perspective, he, he pretty much toes the line, stays the course. Uh, things, things stay pretty straightforward there. The second aspect of this I'm looking at is, is the NPR itself. And in the NPR, there's, it, it's going to kind of have offsetting, I think, uh, forecast changes. So one, the inflation forecast is going higher, without a doubt. 
there, there's no way it can't go higher. They were they were too low in the fourth quarter, uh, and so they'll have to bring up the Q4 uh, into the low four percent, maybe 4.3, 4.4, somewhere in that neighborhood, likely because you already have today's inflation print. It's 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 Wednesday right now, so Wednesday morning we had uh, September CPI, and that came in at 4.4 percent year over year, the highest since 2003, and so. October is already looking like it's going to be a solid number as well with gas prices already likely to be up uh, about 5% or so. Uh, and so that's going to be a hefty addition to uh, to CPI. So you're going to get another strong print there. So you get the upgrade on the inflation front. But as I mentioned, he and as Macklem noted, growth is on a slower track than they thought in July. So you're going to get growth downgrades. Uh, you have the actual from the second quarter, and the projection for Q3 is also going to come down from their 7.3% to maybe something in the in the 4% range, plus or minus a half a percent. And and if that's the case, then it, it's extraordinarily challenging uh, to believe that they're going to move the output gap meaningfully forward from in, in, in a hawkish way. What they're more likely to do is actually push it back a little bit. Uh, I think the base case is, is they keep it in the second half of the year, but maybe it's a little bit later in the second half of the year. Whether they specify that or not, I, I, I'm not sure, but uh, they, they can just keep it in, in the second half of 2022. And given the uncertainty around how big the output gap is, potential growth, the demand and supply shocks, uh, I, I, at this point, I think they'd be pretty happy just to leave it that way. And the third facet of this that I'm looking at, uh, so first is Macklem, Second is the NPR. Uh, third is 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 tapering and, and the statement. Uh, so on, on the tapering front, uh, we're expecting, and, and this isn't a super high conviction, but we do lean toward them moving right to the reinvestment phase and ending QE, the, the, the QE portion of, of the government bond purchase program. The change would be to keep the balance sheet constant rather than have it growing at, at a slow but steady pace as it is at the moment. Uh, and if they do that, if they go right to reinvestment, Instead of maybe tapering once more down to one billion per week and then moving to reinvestment in January, but if they move to reinvestment next week in October, the market will think to itself and market participants will say, "Well, what's next for the bank? Well, the next move is a rate hike." And so, if that's the case, well, maybe we need to price in a little bit more into January. And so, th- there's a chance that that aspect of the meeting, that move, that change, brings forward rate hike pricing. I also expect, though, in the statement that they're going to stick with the with their line that they are not going to raise rates until the output gap is closed. So uh, it, it's going to be a bit of a balancing act for them. But I do expect that there's 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 a chance the market could read it as a little bit hawkish, at least in the, in the statement immediately, given that, it, that the, we get the press conference a little bit later, uh, if we do get that, uh, that, that shift to reinvestment rather than another taper and then reinvestment getting done in January. So that's how I view the Bank of Canada for next week. If they want to be more dovish, again, they can they can wait on the reinvestment phase. But the question, like right after the last meeting in September, Macklem came out and he gave us the details around reinvestment. We're still missing some finer the finer details, but he gave us the broad strokes. And and why would they have done that if they didn't want to move to reinvestment soon? And and why wouldn't that speech come after the October meeting? So, I mean, it's something I've had a, a dilemma with in my mind is kind of whether what will they or won't they go to reinvestment or not. But we lean toward them uh, switching right to the reinvestment phase, even if it does sound a little more hawkish. They've had an axe to exit QE for a long time. Uh, and, and on top of that, you got to believe that there is some concern on the inflation front. And so taking a little bit more stimulus away isn't something they would be opposed to, given the inflation backdrop and uh, risks tilted to the upside there. 
So Ben, I think what you're saying there on the tapering is that there's really there's really just two outcomes that can happen on that point, right? There's- well, yes. I mean, there, there's always a chance maybe they would they would uh, cut their purchases by 500 million instead of a billion, but they've been pretty consistent on a billion at a time, and and so like the option, yeah, one of them is going right to reinvestment, and op- the other option would be they've been cutting their QE program a billion at a time. So first they were they were at five, they switched went down to four. That was more of a tweak than a than a taper. Uh, then they went from four down to three. That was tapering three to two, where we are right now, two billion in bond purchases per week. And so they could cut that to one billion in purchases per week. Uh, but that looks very close to reinvestment in that when they do finally get to that reinvestment phase, Governor Macklem said that it will be them buying four to five billion per month, which is one plus billion per week in government of Canada bonds. There are some differences there. There's some some primary versus secondary purchases. There are some differences there, and I'm happy to go into those with uh, with any of our, our listeners if they want to uh, reach out to me. But the similarity there is what makes creates a little bit of ambiguity and maybe creates some some communication issue, and and maybe that would be one reason why they want to skip right to the uh, to the reinvestment phase. So Ben, where where should we expect the output gap closure to move to in next week's NPR? I think given the growth disappointments we had in, in the uh, in the second quarter and, and the downgrade that's coming to the third quarter, it probably stays exactly where it is, the second half of 2022. Maybe they say later in the second half of 2022, because the, the math tells you it really should get pushed back. But I, I think, again, given the uncertainty around potential growth and, and the supply and demand shocks that we're trying to work our way through, uh, and that they, they've highlighted the uncertainty around the output gap of potential growth. Uh, I think they'll be happy just keeping it in the second half of 2022 for now. Uh, I noticed that in the in the last NPR, in their CPI projections, they really do have it coming down by the end of 2021, right? So we've they definitely have to revise that higher. So the bank's going to have to upgrade their inflation forecast. Uh, they were looking for 3.9% uh, year-over-year average in, in Q3, and it went Two tenths above that, it averaged four point one for the quarter. And given that September's at four point four percent, and October again, it looks like it looks like it's going to be a strong print. That's going to be in the fours, likely low four, like somewhere between four and four and a half, probably higher, closer to four and a half than four uh, for for Q four. And and then the bank did have it coming down, so they had twenty twenty two Q four. They had headline CPI back at two percent. Uh, and then it picking back up because because uh, they were leaving things a little a little stimulative for longer than they usually do. I guess the question here is 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 does that two percent for Q4 2022 stick? I, probably not. It, it, I suspect it's going to be a few ticks higher, and then maybe the 2023 Q4 number comes down a little bit. Part of that is is space effects, but part of that is the fact that uh, the supply chain disruptions are are going to last at least through the middle of next year in some cases. Uh, the auto side of things is going to be a, a pretty big challenge, and then there's other sectors that are a challenge as well. And if you consider something else, demand for for goods has been really strong, kind of in the in the recovery phase of this pandemic, as uh, people still can't really consume as many services as they want, and maybe their preferences have changed. And so what that's done, and and if you get our our uh, AM charts from from economics, you'll see I, I put one in there uh, on on Wednesday, uh, late Wednesday, and then early Thursday, highlighting how goods inflation has really picked up and you have the highest year over year goods inflation since 1984 or the early 80s I can't remember the exact year uh, and and even if, if if you say well maybe that's all food and energy well it's it's a big part of it for sure but even even uh, excluding food and energy goods inflation is is the highest since uh, the, the early 90s and and so like 
there is pretty notable inflation here. And, and that's a big switch from what we've seen for the past 20 years, uh, where goods inflation has been really, really subdued and all the inflation has been on the services side. Uh, so that's a pretty big shift. And, and whether that sustains itself, whether you get ongoing goods inflation, I, I don't know the answer. I wish I did, but it would be hard to believe that it's a, you know, that, that we're going to get a long lasting change to consumer patterns, you know, from, from COVID here, right? Like- well, Maybe, but but I, I mean, it's it, for, it's hard to tell. One, I mean, it, it because it's been a couple of years of, of this. It, it it may be a longer lasting. It may not be permanent, but even if it takes a couple of years to unwind itself, you have kind of excess demand, call it, in goods products for a lengthy period of time, and so there that creates a little bit more persistent inflation pressure. It, it probably fades a little bit over time through that period, uh, but, it, but it might persist for longer than, than people think. And uh, there are some other aspects of this. Like I, I something I've been on for a, a, a lot of years is like you had a huge influx in global labor supply in the 2000s and the 90s and the 2000s, really. Uh, and that really continued for a couple of decades as China uh, rose in prominence and, and they became the, the the shop floor for the world and uh, so on and so forth. And, and and you know the story, but there is not a, there is no other China out there. We're not going to find another billion people to make stuff cheaply for, for the rest of the world. And so maybe that means there is a little bit more inflation uh, going forward because that low cost producer isn't quite as low cost a producer as you thought. And, and like I've talked about this in the past and in past episodes, but uh, the energy side of things as well for, for the, like green energy and, and the more pervasive it becomes, especially if it happens very quickly, that comes with probably inflationary consequences and higher energy costs flow through into all production costs. And so that that's definitely a big challenge. Yeah, I, I think we agree that the, the green energy revolution is actually going to be quite expensive. It's just not that cheap to replace all those fossil fuels with alternatives. But not only is it not cheap, but you're actually getting no productivity out of it. Like you're not enhancing the productivity of the economy. You're just not producing any more uh, greenhouse or fewer greenhouse emissions out of out of what you're making. And so, like that, that is a positive. But it's an externality that we actually don't measure. Uh, Fred, move, moving back to the bank, we are pricing in about 100 basis points. You said we're looking on the cheap side here at the moment. What kind of trade should we look at going into the bank? And and do you have any expectations for what's going to happen to the market coming out of the bank? Well, Ben, I think the idea that we're going to hike six times over over six NPR meetings is a bit aggressive. You know, in 2010, the bank started hiking from 25 basis points to 1% and paused uh, for a very long time. And then in 2017, you know, they, they hike twice in a row and then pause for about, you know, four months or so before resuming a, a you know, what I would, what I think is a very slow hiking cycle. You know, they, they hiked in January of 2018 and then didn't hike again until July. Right. So I, I think the idea that we, that we get the overnight rate above 2% is a bit far-fetched. And I think the market might price that in. If we do get a bank that starts talking about being hawkish, you know, like you've seen in some other markets, we're going to get a very low terminal rate priced in. In the near term, I'd say yield curves are a bit too flat here. In in past hiking cycles, when the bank starts hiking rates, uh, you know, curves like tens, thirties tend to be around thirty-five basis points or so. And given that we're sitting around forty right now, you know, that that normally coincides with a with a very imminent hike. So I kind of feel like that's a little bit too flat uh, if you don't think January is sort of in play. 
How about you, Ben? What uh, what do you think in terms of ways to express your views here on the market? So I think I think curve wise, I generally agree. We, we've had a pretty strong flattening run here, uh, and and it's been a it's been a aggressive and and fast move. And so uh, a little bit of retracement heading into the bank, I think makes makes a fair amount of sense because uh, we don't really get any major data points. We get one more. We get retail sales, but uh, and, unless it's kind of either a blowout, we already know it's going to be strong because the flash was good. So, uh, I, I doubt you're going to get a huge monster number within the next flash, uh, given where, where good spending already is. And so there's nothing to really drive, uh, the market to price in even more aggressive pricing from the bank. Uh, so I, I think the front does a little bit better, very near term. And we get a little bit of steepening just over the next kind of week or so heading into the bank. When we actually get to the bank, I think that that's, that's a little more challenging. Bigger picture, I'm, I agree with you, Fred. I think that the probably the curve is headed uh, flatter over time. I mean, we are just counting the days down until we get that eventual rate hike. Uh, when it comes, does matter, and so that's why maybe you get a little bit of steepening because maybe the rate hike doesn't come until July of next year. And if that's the case, then you probably need to be a bit steeper than where we are now, and, and slowly but surely trend flatter. But looking just at the very front of the curve, and then going back to what I said earlier. If the bank moves directly to reinvestment and, and the market says to itself, well, what's next for the bank? Well, if the next step is a rate hike and, oh, guess what? If they're done QE, then I guess January is now live. Maybe you get a little bit more of the, what the rate hikes priced earlier in 2022. I'm not saying that means we're going to hike in January. I, I don't think that. Uh, that is way too fast. But it at least introduces the possibility to the market. It opens up that as like a real possibility. And so you might get some of the very front of the, the BA curve flattening uh, just a little bit. Some weakness in the front contract and Z2 being probably unchanged uh, as, as you keep 100 basis points in the year, but you pull forward a little bit of those rate hikes. And so I think that's a that's a decent possibility. And then and you can express that a number of ways. You can do that through BAs, as I just mentioned, or uh, you can pay January and March meeting and, and receive... Uh, October or, or something like that of, of next year uh, in the OIS market. So I think that's that's a decent uh, risk reward trade heading into the meeting. And in that case, if they are very dovish, you are going to see rate hike pricing pull back. And so uh, that received further out the curve is, is, is going to do pretty well. And there really isn't that much uh, priced into the front at the moment. But bigger curve, flatter for sure over time. Uh, I, I, I think it's very difficult to get away from that. Uh, and and when you get bouts of steepening, like I think you're going to get now, you want to fade that. You want to put on flatteners. All of that could change next year, and all of that could change if central banks one day say, you know what? I'm okay with this inflation. I, I, I really do think it's transitory, and I'm sticking with my thesis, even though we have this 4% plus number for 6, 8, 10, 12 months. That could cause the curve to steepen in that uh, you get fewer rate hikes to the front, but at the same time, the long end wants some inflation risk premium. And so maybe that ends up steepening. But I think that's a story for for maybe the first half of 2022, if central banks stay on the sideline and you get inflation pressures continuing. Yeah, you, you, you just reminded me of a topic I wanted to get your thoughts on. Looking back at the past year, and this is more a comment to all central banks, not just to the Bank of Canada, but could the bank have been a bit more transparent about, about what the what transitory meant to them? That's difficult. So what the, the difficulty is transitory means anything you want it to mean. Well, <laughs> like, that's what I mean. Or, or, you know, instead, is, instead of being more transparent, maybe I should have said less vague. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, like, I mean, putting yeah. a timeline on it though is is means that that you're putting strict boundaries on what you think is acceptable. And well, I don't think you need I don't think you need timelines. I think you just I think though you you know they they get the opportunity to sort of ex, you know to articulate their 
their thoughts, you know, in an NPR every, every few months, um, you know, they get to do press conferences. It's just that, you know, could they have articulated what they were thinking in terms of transitory, or at least try to quantify what that meant a bit more, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think they know. I think that's a simple answer mm-hmm. is that transitory means a lot of different things and, and maybe it lasts longer than they thought, but it's still transitory in their mind. And, and, and I, I, I get it uh, from some, like I'm, I'm clearly, if anyone ever listens to all of our podcasts, <laughs> you know that I'm, I'm more concerned about inflation than the average Joe, uh, especially than the average market Joe. But I, I get where they're coming from. I mean, we're in a really unique situation and given the past 10 years, it's hard to say that things have fundamentally changed. And so do you want to rush to tighten when you have six strong inflation prints? Like we've only had six. Let's not, let's, let's not, don't make any mistake here. It's, it's six Wait, months you, of inflation. You, you six. say only six, you say only six. Other people will say, oh my gosh, there's been six months of high inflation. Yeah. But I mean, and what if it comes down next month? Like it's not going to, cause gas is strong, but I mean, it, they're the, the year over year numbers should fall in the first part of the year. January was, was a monster in 2020. So that, that year over year, that, that base effect should, should pull the year over year number down. February and March were, were a little bit kind of middling, not overly strong. I mean, they were good on a not seasonally adjusted basis, but seasonally adjusted, they were they were kind of middling. Uh, but then you got really strong prints in April and May. And so I think if by May, you're still looking at, at 4% plus, then you want to have the conversation about this is not transitory. Sure. I, I, I 100%, I think that's when you'll know. Until then, you can't know. There's no way we can know because we've never been here before. We've never seen goods demand like this. We've never seen supply shocks like this. We've never seen demand shocks like this. And so how can you make how can you say with with any type of certainty that you know where we are? And the bank is looking very intently at inflation expectations and they put questions specifically. They added extra questions, the one to the business outlook survey and one to the consumer expectations survey, asking the folks that had inflation expectations a little bit higher than than kind of the, the average. Uh, so on the business side, it was those seeing above 3% uh, over the next year. They asked them, do you think this is transitory or is this higher inflation going to last? And the majority of businesses and the majority of consumers said they believe this is transitory. And so as long as that's the case, the bank's going to say, you know what? We're okay. We're not saying we're comfortable. We don't like 4% inflation. We don't like 3% inflation. Our target's 2%. But we believe this is going to fade over time. And we don't want to tighten prematurely because it's it. there's not much we can do about some of this inflation. Uh, I, I can argue the other side as well, where I mean, demand really is, is quite strong in a number of cases. Housing would be a, the best example there. And that's helping drive inflation. And maybe that's why they should be tightening. But they're in a tough spot. And, uh, and, and if growth doesn't do well in the first part of next year and then like the next few months, it's going to make it even more difficult on them because it's not like that inflation story is going to fade in the very, very near term. Yeah. So, so the, the bank does have quite a dilemma. I mean, we've seen how the media has latched on to the, the inflation story. And I'm guessing that we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to see this sort of narrative continue for the next, you know, you know, until, until either the bank moves or, you know, or, or the bank is proven right. And it is transitory because, it's really because it sells it sells newspapers, but um, or it sells clicks. But um, I think we're going to hear a lot of people calling for for higher rates in the next uh, in the next short while. Uh, that's uh, certainly certainly plausible, and and 
Uh, it is certainly a, it's a dilemma, not just for the Bank of Canada, but really for all central banks. And you can kind of go through them all and see how they own have their own specific set of circumstances. With respect to the media, the one thing I'll say before we wrap up here is uh, what I'm watching probably a little more closely isn't the inflation stories per se. And like so on on CPI day and the day before and the day after and the week of, uh, you have a, a, a little burst of inflation stories. It's it's when you get those inflation stories and in, in, in media like the, the Globe or the National Post or something that kind of everyday folks read. It's not just a market newspaper like the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when those stories pop up on a more regular basis on kind of non-CPI weeks, that's when I think you'll start to see a little bit more concern. That's when you'll start to see expectations maybe moving a little bit more. So that's something I'm watching for. I haven't really seen it yet. Uh, you get a lot of stories on Inflation Week, a lot more than you used to for sure. But they don't last all that long. So if next week uh, you see a story on Canadian inflation, that probably means a little bit more than the one that you're seeing this week. Uh, and, and I think on that note, uh, Fred, if if, uh, if you have nothing else to add or anything else to ask me, I think uh, it, it's time to wrap things up this week. No, Ben, I think that covers more or less uh, what I want to ask about next week's bank meeting. All right, then let's wrap it up here. Fred, thanks for for coming on the show. Uh, As always, much appreciated. And thanks to our listeners for uh, for tuning in this week. Have a good week, everybody. And uh, good luck at the Bank of Canada meeting next week. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.